I don't know about you guys, but I am one of those people where every year on Daylight Savings, having that extra hour of light in the evening just like completely transforms my mood. I feel like I am not me when it gets dark at 4 p.m. And obviously the flip side of that is that first morning after springing forward can be rough. So I want to tell you about something that can make it so much easier, so much more enjoyable. It's called Hatch. And Hatch can help you choose sleep, prioritize healthy habits, and then also make the time change transition seamless and enjoyable. So the Hatch Restore helps you build sleep habits that make your unwind and wake routines simple and enjoyable. So a phone-free bedtime, no matter what time of year it is, which again, is really a habit I'm trying to change this year, and this has very much helped it. And then with the Hatch Plus subscription, you can access the latest routine-building features like Cue to Unwind, which signals you that it's time for bed, and Pillow Talk, which is kind of like your favorite shows or socials without the screen to keep you up. For me, that's like such a wonderful feature because it helps me unwind, but not in a way that feels unnatural. It's kind of like the benefit I get from scrolling my phone without scrolling my phone. And then waking up in the morning is just so much more peaceful. Like I don't think it's good to wake up to that jarring alarm sound. So to have kind of an easy wake up, I've just really enjoyed my morning so much more. Right now, Hatch is offering our listeners $20 off your purchase of the Hatch Restore and free shipping at hatch.co slash CBC. Visit hatch.co slash CBC to get $20 off and free shipping. Hatch.co slash CBC. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to our Housewives of Potomac Super Show. I'm so excited. Isabel, this is the most necessary episode we personally, in our limited experience with this Comments by Bravo podcast, have done. Absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah. So first off, I know our episodes normally drop on Friday, but... Sunday Night's Potomac was so explosive and we kind of figured Thursday Night's New York, not going to be so much to talk about. We wanted to get this out as soon as physically possible because there is just so much here. And as you guys know, we don't do recaps. It's much more discussion-based with this particular podcast, but I want to explain to you how this is going to go down so you have kind of a clear roadmap in your head and then we're going to get into it because I promise you, <laughs> we are fired up. Not to, I know it's kind of a weird term, but we are, right? totally fired up. (laughs) Okay. So here's how it's going to go. If you look at the episode, there were basically four main plot lines, Monique and Candace, Giselle and Jamal, Michael and Ashley, and Karen and Ray. And because it's Potomac and it's such a unique franchise in terms of the depth of every episode, each storyline is worth talking about. So for the Monique and Candace thing, it's the kind of situation where if you are watching this just on camera, if you're not seeing anything on social media, any of the background, You're of course interested, but you're a little bit confused. It has a bit of the Tinsley Dorinda vibe. You're like, what is the actual root of the issue here? So what we're going to do is first, Isabel is going to give a full Monique and Candace breakdown. All of the background stuff that you may not know, or some of you may know. So if you feel like you're totally up to speed, you can fast forward. But there's a lot of behind the scenes. There's a lot of receipts. We spent, I mean, this outline is literally 21 pages. (laughs) We have quotes. We have, I want you to leave. This is my goal. I want you to leave this particular episode and feel like you are so unbelievably informed and caught up and just encapsulated in Potomac that you can you could give a presentation to any of your friends on it, right? You could host the reunion per se. Yes. If you wanted to, I want our podcast listeners to feel like they could. And then we will get into a lengthy discussion of every single thing. But the only part that's going to be deeply informative is this first Monique Candice breakdown. It's necessary. Isabel, my beautiful friend, take it away. I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) So first, I just want to quickly mention, out of fate, God was looking over us 
Emma and I were together for the first and only time while this episode premiered. So we got to experience it together. We tried not to discuss, but it just watching it with someone else who with the same eyes, we were so excited. We were in this together. And the minute it, the first two minutes, we were like, holy shit, we cannot wait to record our podcast. So if you're here, I'm assuming and I'm almost demanding that you've seen the episode. If you haven't, pause this. We won't be offended. Go watch the episode. Watch it again. Watch it in slow motion. Do a little rewind, fast forward, and then come back and listen to this breakdown because it's absolutely crucial that you see it. And every time I've rewatched it, which has been a couple times already, you find something new. There's so much going on in every single scene that it's just, it. you have to watch. Have to. Just, just to refresh everyone, if you only watched it once like a normal person on Sunday, <laughs> they're at the winery. It's for Giselle's Literary Award, which, like, great for you, Giselle, but clearly that was not the star of the show this night. <laughs> they're all talking, their usual back and forth. It actually starts with Ashley talking about Michael and her threesomes in the cheating, which, you know, usual Potomac gets thrown under the rug two minutes later. Giselle somehow asked, Basically, are we good between Candace and Monique? Because if you remember, the way we left off between them was at Monique's lake house when Giselle and Candace had pulled Ashley aside to give her the information about Michael. Monique was a little bit upset with the way it went down, felt like it was kind of clicky and rude that they didn't attend the fire and took it all out on Candace and then was sleeping or pretending to sleep when Candace left. So they hadn't really seen each other since, left a bad taste in both of their mouths. So they start going back and forth. I don't know if it was the alcohol, if it was the pent-up frustration, which you will hear what the frustration comes from. But the fight escalated to them screaming over each other, Im- imitating each other, Monique talking about how Candace doesn't understand because she doesn't have kids. And Monique starts touching Candace's hair, and from there, it basically explodes. That's the only way to describe it. The physical fight, Monique will not let go of Candace's hair. They're throwing things at each other, screaming. The fourth wall does not exist in this episode. If you ever thought there was a fourth wall, say goodbye. We don't know her. She doesn't exist. She's not here in this episode. Like, there is, she's not here. There's no fourth wall. Like, they just, it's completely gone. It is the Kiki Palmer. It is the Kiki Palmer video. I've never seen that man in my life. Yeah, literally the Potomac Housewives to the fourth wall. I ain't never seen this man in my life. <laughs> so the physical fight happens. The producers get involved. The, everyone in the room basically gets involved. It is like the peak behind the curtain that you never, like you've never seen before. They separate them. They pu- they're putting Candace in a car to take her home. She's kind of annoyed about that. They bring Monique into a stairwell. The producer literally is locking her in there. She goes around him, runs outside to chase down Candace again for a second. She has a second wind. The whole thing was absolutely wild. And Emma and I will discuss it, but I just wanted everyone to like remember how they felt watching it before we get into this previous timeline of events that brought us to this point. Yes. So... In real life, this fight happened October last year. So it, one year ago, exactly. And which is crazy to think about because it's so fresh to us, but they've been living with this and reliving it and digesting it for a year. So that's just what happens with TV. And like I said, we left off at the lake house. And if you remember earlier in the season, 
their first kind of tiff happened at that dinner that they had for Ashley. Like when she had the baby, they wanted her to get out of the house. Giselle and Monique put together this little dinner. They had Candace come, even though she was like on bad terms, whatever. And Monique is really pissed that Candace invited Sharice, Sharice Jackson, old housewife. We'll get to her in one second. Don't you worry. That Monique was mad that Candace had invited her to the Dynam and Diamonds anniversary party because she knows that she's been talking shit all around town. Candace apologized for that, and she apologized at the lake house. So I think in Candace's eyes, coming to this winery, they had cleared the air, even though there was still shit. Like, she'd apologized. She, I think, was able to move on. Clearly, Monique was not. So we're going to take you back a little bit. First, I know the order is a little different, but I promise it'll make sense. On August 11th, Monique went live with Chris, but it was really all her. He chimed in sometimes. Um, They went live on Instagram and they titled this The Rumor Mill. Y'all done pissed us off. And so August 11th is between episodes two and three of this season. The season five premiered on August 2nd. So we know a little bit and we've seen this physical fight teased at this point. So we're all privy, like knowing, okay, how, how do we get here? How do we get from this episode two or three to episode nine, ten, where they are literally ripping each other's hair out at this barn? Like, what is going on? So when, on Monique's Live, she kind of breaks down this entire saga that's been going on behind the scenes that once you know it, you will realize the little bits and pieces that have been sprinkled through the season. But if you didn't know, you may not have noticed. Honestly, I didn't either, and I feel like I studied this as my major. So, the key players, just to keep everyone, you know, classes in session, get out your notepads. We got Monique, Candace, Sharice, who, just a reminder, was a housewife on season one and two, and then she came back season three as like a friend of. And this woman named Gigi, who is Monique's former best friend, who, for some reason that I don't know, I'm sure we will find out eventually, just has a vendetta and hates Monique. Monique kind of insinuates that it's that Gigi, this woman, wanted to get on the show and wanted to position herself in the group. So that might be a motive, but it's unclear because she does some pretty fucked up stuff. So they start off this live by saying, quote, there's been a lot of talk and everybody heard after episode two what Giselle said about the rumors, which what she said wasn't even the rumor. Clearly, when I said it was, quote, so disgusting and nasty, I did not want to repeat it. That was real, very real. So what Monique is referring to here is that lunch that her and Giselle have. In Giselle's confessional, she says the reason that Monique is so pissed off at Sharice is that Sharice has been going around spreading the rumor that Monique has like been out on the town with her trainer, basically cheating. And Monique is, ba- is saying, like, that's not even the rumor I was referring to. Because the producers ask her in her confessional, she says, I'm not repeating it, it's so nasty. So then Monique says, quote, in this live, I have a former friend who thought it was more important for her to try and make a place and position herself on the show than be a friend. That friend is named Gigi. Gigi sent messages to producers and Monique's friends and castmates, most importantly, but also production, which is just like crazy, 
accusing Monique of having an abortion and saying that it was a miscarriage, which we saw her go through last year and the year before, before she had her third child, Chase. And then that Monique was cheating on Chris and that this baby, Chase, their youngest son, isn't Chris's, which I totally get why she wouldn't want to repeat. Like those are just low, nasty, gross rumors to talk about in general, especially from someone who's your former best friend, right? Like gross. Yeah. So this girl, Gigi, is on a mission to spread these rumors about Monique. She's making it her like life goal. And in this live, Monique has a stack of printed pages. Like You've never seen anything. Ramona's text to Dorinda were shaking. The pile was huge. There was 90 pages, printed emails, text receipts about following the whole saga so that she knew the, tr- the paper trail. <laughs> did you did you see by the way when T'Challa started flying and the paper started going everywhere? Yeah, like that is such a specific Monique problem. I cannot even handle it. I know. Sorry, keep going. So Gigi first reached out to Candace. And Candace talks to Gigi supposedly for two hours, listening to her rant, talking about these rumors, kind of feeding her the information that she wants to get out there, and asks Monique for Sharice's phone number, which Candace gives her. So basically putting them in touch, connecting Sharice with this woman, Gigi. And then Sharice takes this information and starts spreading it to the group. Candace, I think, took in the information but didn't do anything with it. Monique on the live says, quote, Candace knew all about this because she asked her for Sharice's number and she gave it to her. So the fact that she didn't understand that me and Sharice weren't clicking is absolute BS. You have a few women on the show who wanted to bring it on camera and take me down and expose this nonsense on the show. We go the whole season. Candace brought up the former friend's name twice while we were filming, and I'm just looking at her like, wow, really? Giselle brings her up. None of that ever aired. I wasn't surprised when Giselle did it. I mean, we're not friends, and I know she's hateful, miserable. Mm. Okay. Then, as if the story isn't already wild, We get to Andy Cohen's baby shower because, of course, everything is measured in before Andy's baby shower and after Andy's baby shower. Not just Bravo-wise, our entire lives also. Just everything, yes. Like, Lisa Rinna got up on that table and there was an earth shifting in the air. It was a cultural reset. It was a cultural reset. (laughs) So after Andy's baby shower, which they were all there for, it was in LA, right? Yeah. Candace... Giselle and Robin and a few other women, I don't know who or if it was Housewives, went out to dinner. And this dinner apparently was like the plot to take down Monique, according to her. This was, they were plotting, what's our goal? What's our mission? How are we going to get it? Like, what can we do to take down Monique? And Giselle wanted them to say that Chase isn't Chris's, but then apparently like that wasn't strong enough. They had to go from a different angle because first of all, it's not true. Second of all, they realized that he looks just like this kid is the spitting image of Chris Samuel. So I think they were like, okay, let's go a different route. So Karen, after this dinner, Karen wasn't there, but she heard about it. I think from one of the other women and called Monique and was like, wow, can you believe this dinner? Like, it was so bad. Are you okay? Did you hear anything? And Monique is like, what are you talking about? And Karen was like, oh, I expected that Candace would have told you. So strike number whatever, 
Candace supposedly is Monique's friend, but is at this dinner and doesn't say a word to Monique or give her a warning. So going into season five, Monique asks about the dinner. Candace leaves out any of her part of the conversation or her involvement or the fact that she had spoken to Gigi. And this quote in the live, if you watch it, to me was like the most interesting and kind of given insight into Monique's mindset through all of this because we're watching it and let me just read it. She says, quote, this whole situation had nothing to do with the fight, meaning the physical fight. One thing that I'm not going to do is talk about people's kids and spread lies and rumors. Now, say what you want. Okay, was this physical fight not a direct correlation? I'm not pulling her hair because she spoke to Charisse? Maybe. But it adds, like, now we have more in the folder of reasons Monique hates Candace and thoughts she's had about her and pent up frustration. So for us, that was like, hello, exactly like Dorinda and Tinsley. It's not necessarily like I'm screaming at you because of this money thing, but in her heart and her brain, it's like the way that she's formed her feelings and opinion about her. Clearly, like this is the bullet that we were all looking for. Yes. Yes. Monique ends basically saying, I spent two years and I've had to be professional and work with them and put a smile on my face. I never forgave anything. She never brought it to me. The problem I have with Candace is she was putting on a smile to my face and doing shady shit behind my back. Yeah. So, wow. Oh, that was a lot. I want to wait till we're done with all these things to discuss it, but I have so much to say. And honestly, my biggest question is more so to Bravo because I feel when they don't show these things or when they're not brought out on the show, it really is doing everyone on the show a disservice because it makes people look so much worse than they necessarily are. I just think it's unfair. I think I, I... as much as I like finding these Easter eggs after the fact, I almost wish we had the context while watching, but that's a different argument that <laughs> we're not getting well, into right and, now. And I posted a comment the other day that said, Monique was saying they're not allowed to go live anymore. I guess for this reason that so much of the plot and things were being manipulated for the viewers that they cut them off and said, you guys can't go live anymore because you know what? I want to save it for the reunion. This could okay. be the first four or five part reunion, I got to say. Anyway, so... On Candace's live, which was two days prior to Monique's, but it was important to explain Monique's first, she said, quote, the information that Sharice knows that Monique said she was spreading, I already knew that. I've known that information for two years. The bulk of that I have known. Gigi is Monique's ex-best friend. Gigi and I talked. I invited her and her husband to our Christmas party, as well as the Samuels when we were friends. On occasion, we would talk. We would text. There was a particular day I was in my office and Gigi texted me and said, can you give me Sharice's number? I didn't think anything of it. I gave her Sharice's number. Come to find out, Gigi started to spread all this information about Monique, some of which you heard in Giselle's confessional. Of course, huge question mark there. Didn't think anything of it. Who's lying? Who's not? Fine. Yeah. Well, also, last night, Ashley was on her Insta stories. She's really good friends with both Sharice and Monique. So this is kind of a hard position that she's in. She wants the best. She's like, these are both really good people in their core. This is just a super messy situation. But don't drag Sharice into this. She is not the villain here. It is Monique's former friend. She didn't say her name, but she said she was going off on her. She's disgusting little troll. I hate her. I called her that to her face. It didn't get, it got cut from filming. But I guess it's known basically amongst these women that 
this girl is bad news. So this week, Candace was on Wendy Williams. And I want to read some of what happened because I thought it was a very interesting interview. But basically, Wendy asked her, you know, what is the issue with you and Monique? I'm very confused. And Candace said, you know, it's almost a year removed from the incident. I'm still confused. I still don't know exactly what I did to this person. And Wendy is a very much a straight shooter. And she basically said, we saw that Candace accused you saw we saw that you accused her of cheating and she said certain individuals are very good at what's called the spin she never had a conversation with me about these rumors about her I was never a part of a spin a spreading a plot the fact that she's now using that to justify what she did it's poppycock she never actually brings up these rumors and this plotting until after we wrap filming she was looking for any reason to justify attacking another black woman on national television and Wendy asked her if she was mad at Karen and she basically said I'm not mad at Karen I'm more so waiting for her to kind of find her sense. She said that Karen has been straddling the fence this entire season. And she's saying, you know, you really can't do that. She said, the fight is not the trauma. The trauma is the way that she lies, the leaking of lies to the press, all of which are skewed in her favor, which is how we knew she was the one leaking things to the press. It's caused me such a mental strife. It's been so hard for me to have to sit back because I'm contractually obligated to do so and not speak about while she uses lackeys about what six cameras caught. And The point that Candace was kind of making to Wendy, or one of which, and I know we'll discuss more of them, is that this really has forever changed the dynamic of the entire group. And I saw a mixed, definitely a mixed response to this on Twitter, which we can talk about in the discussion of like some people thinking that Candace was playing the victim, some people really thinking that she was completely justified in her action and her pressing charges, et cetera. But I just wanted to mention there's definitely a disagreement about that. Yeah. The going on... Wendy was a really interesting move. Everyone was so confused why Candace was so silent on Twitter because usually I can't even read all her tweets in a night. It's a novel's worth. She, Her fingers are just tapping away all night and she was completely silent and everyone was like, hmm, this is interesting. I don't know how that happened. Honestly, I can't remember really a time that a housewife has gone on a big talk show like that the night after a huge episode of their franchise. It was really very interesting move. Yeah, it was. She also spoke, she said, you know, you've embarrassed black women as a whole with your behavior, which is a point that came up in the episode. And I want to wait till the discussion to bring it up because that's not something that can be glazed over, but I want to finish the receipts and then we'll come back to that point. Yes. So last thing was the night, the morning after this episode aired. So Monday, Monique did a sort of like impromptu Q and A on her stories that I think was, of all things, the most telling about where she is one year later. Because next episode in the teaser, we saw that they have a meeting at Karen's and they're kind of going in on Monique like you're not, where is your remorse? You don't feel bad. You would do it again. Vibe. And yeah, that's fine. But this that episode was shot within days or weeks of the incident. We are in present day 12 months later. And here is how Monique went about these questions. Someone said, did the fight solve your problems? And she said, absolutely not. It actually made things worse. Now I have a huge problem on my hands, which is this altercation, moving forward, accepting responsibility. Another person said, when you said, quote, wait until the reunion, does that mean you're exposing someone? Monique says, when I say wait until the reunion, that's when I'm able to pull out all the pieces together for all of the viewers who have been watching who don't understand why this invitation with Cherise me- meant so much to me. I'm going to tell you all about it. Spoiler alert, if you're here, we're telling you right now. 
<laughs> so you're going to be really informed when you go to the reunion. Someone asked about, was it Giselle pushing you? We'll discuss this also in our next section, but there were a lot of slow motion videos and clearly watching it back, you see, you're able to see what happened because it did happen so quickly. And a lot of people noticed that Giselle's hand kind of pushes on Monique's shoulder right before everything goes down. That was a huge topic of discussion, conspiracy theories. Was that planned? Was she egging her on, etc., which we'll talk about. And she said, so I did not realize until I watched on video that someone else pushed me. I thought it was Candace when she reached across the table. So I don't know if it was Giselle or Robin, but that definitely was a push on my shoulder and definitely escalated it even more. They also, she also mentioned that she doesn't go on the cash trip this season. Interesting. We didn't know that. And that she's been working on herself and figuring out what triggers her, I think, some form of anger management. Last thing that I thought was notable was someone asked, did you ever apologize to Candace for your part? She says, I haven't talked to Candace since the fight. She's been doing a lot of talking for the past few months. She's been saying a lot of really nasty things about me. So at this point, I really don't have any desire to speak to her. Mm-hmm. And she gave more details. She heard them screaming from upstairs when she was locked in the hallway. That's what made her go back outside for a second round. I mean, yeah, it was just to hear her in present day now looking back on it speak was super, super telling. When on the hunt for a new apartment, we obviously all have things that are kind of non-negotiables for us. I would say for me, top of that list is probably natural light. Just because I know myself, I know I'm more productive throughout the day. I'm honestly just happier throughout the day when I'm getting a lot of natural light. And it's important to know what you want and then really to be able to get that. You know, this is your space that you're living in. So apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools to help find a rental listing that checks all your specific unique boxes. So first of all, they have 3D virtual tours. So when you can't be there in person, you can take a tour of your possible future home, which is huge because it's one thing for someone to send you photos or to tell you about it, but really to be able to do kind of a virtual walkthrough to me is huge. Also, apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet, and they have amenity filters, so you can make sure your possible future home has all the amenities you need, whether that's in-unit washer-dryer, air conditioning, dishwasher, balcony. For me, in my next place, in-unit washer-dryer is like hands down, very, very high. So visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Okay. Is it fair to say that that concludes our completely solely fact-based part of the episode and we can now get into more of a discussion? I want to make sure we didn't leave anything out. No, let's let's talk about it. Okay. The first thing I want to talk about, just to get it out of the way, because personally, it's just a point that I'm not interested in. And I don't think you are either, but it's been a discussion, is this whole Giselle did Giselle, you know, intervene or was Giselle the one that pushed her? My thought on it, watching it back, and I obviously watched the slow-mo and thank God to all of those Bravo accounts that have been posting slow-mos as if we're, you know, an NFL team. My, my thought was, yes, Giselle's hand was clearly on her, but to me, not no part of it felt instigating. And I know Giselle can be an instigator. To me, it felt a lot more like a very natural human response when two people are going at it, you want to separate them. Her hand just happened to go to Monique. I really think that that's reaching. 
Me too. Giselle is a fighter with her words, not with her hands. Truly. We've seen it from her. She's been around these women. We've seen this one instance with Monique in the past, heard her say things. She knows her well. She probably saw this coming. It happened so quickly. There's no way that she was like trying to egg her on, thinking that, you know, her shoving Monique or even tapping her shoulder would cause this. Um, Yeah, I just think that that's silly. Everyone has been there's so many conspiracies about who started it, what happened. You can watch it a million times. You see something new there. It's a clusterfuck. And something interesting actually that we kind of talked about, but I want to discuss here because I think this is an interesting point. As housewives, you, the footage is there, right? When you have real life fights with your friends about you said that, no, I didn't say that you did this first. No, I didn't. We don't have the tapes to like say, let's look back. Let's roll the tape. You see, you did say that. See, you did talk shit about her. See, like you did touch me first. And I always wonder if in like the real time, they, I don't think they're allowed to see the footage, but if it's in the back of their minds or they wish they could, because there are times where they go on like a whole season saying, you said that, no, I didn't. And then they're going back and forth about it. It changes relationships. And then we get to the reunion and they watch it back. And it's like, oh shit, we just lived a year thinking things went one way and they went another. Exactly. Like it just, the footage is just sitting there in the producer's office that has all of the answers on it to what people said, you know, holding people accountable, this fight, even how badly do you think they all, especially Monique and Candace wanted to watch it back for a whole year, I mean, I'm sure they got it earlier, but at least a month, even a week, even a day, to know that it exists is like a layer of being a housewife that we don't often think about and I think must be really frustrating and anxiety-provoking and just something that they deal with and think about on a daily basis. Yes, and I think it's something, I mean, you could make this argument since the first season of any Housewife franchise ever. I think it's only coming into our consciousness more now since, you know, because of how little the fourth wall has been there. So we're starting to think in a different way, not just us. I think Bravo watchers in general, we're starting to think more dynamically. We're starting to think about the behind the scenes element, which I think for so long, we kind of operated as if it wasn't there, but they're bringing it to us. So of course we're going to think, you know, we're going to think that, um, I want to, before we continue, I do really want to address the, what Candace was talking to Wendy about and something that we saw so frequently in the episode, which was, you know, you just watched two women go through a very intense argument and you see Candace in the car. She's clearly shaken up. She happened to handle it very beautifully. She's on the phone with her husband in a very vulnerable moment. And of course she was physically a little bit hurt and she was scared and she was just shaken. Yet, probably the thing that was impacting her the most was she felt like she was contributing to this awful stereotype. And she felt so disappointed in herself and in Monique for making black women look a certain way, which is really something that needs to be discussed because there is a stereotype of the quote, angry black woman. It's existed since the 1950s. A lot of people say that it came from that radio show. I think it's called like Amos and Andy from the 1950s. And that has been a stereotype that has existed of viewing black women as hostile and aggressive and angry. And I just, to watch the women's reactions in regards to that particular thing was very, very 
upsetting and um, just shows how how unfair society treats black women. You just have them go through this very intense physical altercation. And that is the first thing they're talking about because they feel as if they have the this burden to represent themselves in a certain way because of already the way that society views them. And that is so unbelievably unfair. And if you watch any other franchise, Isabel, we have seen Danielle Stahl pull Margaret's hair. We've seen Ashley, Jacqueline's daughter, pull Danielle's hair. We've seen Dorinda- Teresa shove Andy Cohen at a reunion. Yes, we've seen Dorinda and Tinsley. We've seen all these things. And we've always been able to view that behavior in a vacuum. Never once felt as white women, like that was representative. Their behavior was representative of us as white women. And it's a very unfair burden that black women carry, the fact that they have this stereotype pinned up against them. And I just, you know, of course, you and I can't speak to that personally, nor would I ever pretend to or try to. But I very vividly remember in one of my classes, a black woman speaking exactly about that and saying, I often find myself, she said, she said, I often find myself speaking softer than I want to in the moment because I am so afraid that I'm going to now amplify or reinforce the stereotype that we as black women are trying so hard to break from. And I think this was a, the way that they discussed it, and I'm sure we will see more of it, was very raw and very eye-opening. And you can't talk about this episode without mentioning that element because it was there. And it's not fair that that is something they have to go through in addition to the emotions they're already feeling. Absolutely. It was such a narrative on our society. I mean, this fight just went down. They're all standing there after Candace and Monique left with their jaws on the floor. And one of the first things Wendy is saying is like, this is not who we are. And they feel in a different way than like we said, in other franchises, when white women are fighting, they feel probably embarrassed. They feel like, oh, I'm associating with these women. I might be viewed as trashy or drunk, whatever. But they never feel like it is defining them. And in this moment, they were all disappointed, of course, because their friends were acting like this, but because they feel a greater responsibility on their back and that this will, quote, define them. And their reactions were so telling. And in the next scene, it was so short, but it was so vulnerable of Wendy to just say, like, I have my first daughter. I'm a black, proud woman. I'm on TV. I have a seat at the table that I worked hard to get. And this is not how I want to be remembered. This is not how I want to be viewed. And this is not what I want to be associated with. Yeah, it was It was a very, you're right. It was a very vulnerable discussion. And I wanted to make sure that we touched on that because we can't speak to it personally, but you would have to be blind to not watch that happening there. It was it, it was immediate. You know, that was what was so interesting. And I think just in general, the way that the women reacted to the fight in real time, I thought was honestly the most interesting part of the episode. Like all of their individual reactions. Didn't you feel that way kind of? Yeah, because I think in, in verbal arguments, they're really specific about what they say. They're really conscious of what they're saying, how they're coming across. They're playing the game. They're playing chess. And they have more time to formulate their thoughts, think of how they're going to dig each other, what they're going to say, what they're going to pull out of their hat. But in this moment, because it was such an emergency vibe, everyone's guard and walls were down. And it was just like, they forgot they were being filmed. They forgot this like persona or character or plot line that they want to enhance because as real as housewives are, the realest of them still have sort of like their TV personality. They're aware they're being filmed. And I think in this moment, it all completely washed away. And that's why 
forget the fourth wall. Like, yeah, of course, we saw the producers. We saw the mic guys. We saw all the cameras. We saw the lights. We saw the other people in the room. But it was their vibes and their complete aura around them shifted totally in that moment where it didn't feel like they had their show presence on anymore. It was like, holy shit, this is happening. The show is taking a back burner. Exactly. Like, yes, exactly. And also, I thought it was interesting when Cand- when Wendy Williams was asking Candace how she felt about Karen's response. Like, I I find Karen to be very calculated is the wrong word because I think it has a negative connotation, but she's very particular in the way she acts. And to me, her kind of quote, siding with Monique, to me, wasn't viewed as siding with Monique. To me, it was like, this, there was a situation happening. There was a woman with her lip bleeding. Other people had Candace. She was just wanting to make sure Monique was okay. To me, that was a very almost maternal reaction. And I don't think she was thinking how that was going to be perceived in terms of taking sides, which I actually really appreciate. Yeah, they didn't have time to process it. You know, she's not sitting there, okay, whose side should I go to? Who is right? Who is wrong? She loves Monique. She has her shit with Candace and with Monique, but you're right. She has a maternal thing and she, I think, was probably in shock and wanted to make sure they were both okay in her maternal way. She feels a sort of responsibility over the group. She's the oldest. She's been around. She almost is like the ringleader. She's the grand dame. What can you say? And she totally leaned into that role in that moment and I think felt it was her job and the right thing to do to make sure both sides were okay. There were enough people with Candace. The whole group was basically with her because she was still inside. They were taking her away. And Monique was alone in the stairwell with a producer. I think her antennas, her mama antennas went up and she's like, I got to make sure Monique is okay. And if we didn't know this, if we're in the moment, up until this week, I have been, you guys know, I just, I love Monique. And until you see somebody in a different light, you don't know this side of them, especially when you're only seeing them on a show and on Instagram. I really loved her. And not to say you can't love someone because of one thing that happens, but this really, really changed my point of view. And I was hoping when I saw this, the previews of this fight, that it would go down really differently. I mean, I could never have expected this, but I think we were almost expecting the usual formula of a fight where verbal or physical in Housewives, where it happens, it dies down a little bit, and then the remorse kicks in. And this was just, this completely flipped that on its head. It completely flipped it on its head. And I know that you're talking about, I think, both the remorse like after the fact, but to me, like, honestly, I was the only time in the episode when they were actually fighting the first one, of course it's, it's scary and you can see everybody's worked up and that was not something that normally happens. But when Monique heard them talking shit and you see her make a break for it and she runs, Isabel, that was chilling. Like, I don't mean to sound dramatic, but I really do think that if you're watching it and you don't see Monique, right? pretend that there wasn't a camera on Monique and you're watching the producers push Candace into the car, trying to get her off. You think that they may be being a little overdramatic. Like, listen, there's no threat here. It's not like there's something, you know, Monique is fine. And then you see Monique coming at Candace for her to go back out. That was a whole different level than what happened in the barn. Totally different level or the wine bar, whatever. It was a barn, right? Yeah, it was a barn. Yeah. Completely. That's what you thought. And by the way, her whole demeanor in that stairwell with the producer 
She was being a little pissy when he wouldn't open the door for her, fine. But she's standing there and she's like explaining to him, you know, she you're gonna talk shit. This is what's gonna happen. She's like, is my lip bleeding? Do I have wine on my face? Her her tone and like her presence seemed like she had cooled down and that it was over. You felt like, okay, I almost, I was like preparing myself. I'm like, okay, it's over. The worst is over. You're kind of like waiting now. Okay, what's going to happen next with the next day, the fight? You figure they're all going to go home. I figured that we're going to see all the reactions. So then to start over again and her sprinting by herself in the dark at, I guess, where all of them were, Candace pulling away in the car and the producer or the cameraman having to body slam interject her and hearing Wendy screaming and everyone screaming Monique don't do this like you're better than this stop it Monique was absolutely you're right it was chilling we that was when you think it can't get crazier the fight alone like took the air out of me but that was like oh my god we've never seen a second wind and it was scary and you you wanted to just like shake her she she wasn't in her body yeah, it, you're right. That was really, that was the tipping point of seeing someone differently and not feeling remorse after the first fight, then going back for seconds, then in the car, not feeling remorse. Then the next day she's in the kitchen talking to Chris about it while she's doing her daughter's hair, not feeling remorse or embarrassed or caring what it came off as. And then you see her one year later, literally yesterday, still not remorseful. No, I, I, know, I know. I think because I think that she... Listen, we have all been there when you just, there is someone you really just cannot stand. You cannot stand. I'm not saying it would always get to this point, but I think that her hatred for Candace is so deep that it almost skews her, her, like the way that she views her own actions. And, and, you know, a very interesting, I think probably, you know, the last point that we should mention here is watching the way Chris was handling this, I thought was, you know, kind of interesting as a viewer because you see always Monique and Chris have such a united front. And I think that they have a really supportive, great marriage. And I really, really like him. And I, and I really like her, honestly. And typically you see, even on her lives, he's sitting right there next to her. Even if he doesn't say a lot, it's very clear that they want to show a united front. And I think he was really holding back and speaking minimally. He, he you know, he voiced that he was embarrassed and that he, it wasn't cool. But I don't think he went as deep as he wanted to in terms of explaining to her how upset he was by it because I think he respected the cameras were there. I don't want, she's already going through enough. The last thing I'm going to do is cause a fight with her and her husband about the fight with Candace because I think he was smart enough to know that Monique would have interpreted that as him siding with Candace. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. In the moment, you just want your husband or your significant other to be like, I'm taking your side. And so I think he was holding back because I think internally he was not pleased. No, I, it was like a, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. He probably realized as a third party, like onlooker on the situation, she's embarrassed herself enough, whether she cares or not, which she seemingly does not give a shit. She's talking about, I don't care about image. Like, that's not my concern. This fight is my priority. I'm willing to take it on. He realized like she's digging herself enough in a hole. I don't need to make it worse. Like I am her support, which I think is really an interesting view and kind of very mature of him and really like a step further. I think most people would think, oh, supportive husband, call her out on her wrongs, you know, tell her what she did was wrong and be there, support her, which I don't, I think he probably did behind closed doors, but he realized me doing this on camera is not going to help anybody but Candace, truly. Exactly. But that is why 
Like that is why men in, in men in heterosexual relationships get themselves into trouble so much with their wives or with their girlfriends because they don't have the wherewithal to think, how would a woman view this through her eyes? And that's not a comment on all men, but it, 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 I mean, it kind of is because men and women just fundamentally have different brains. I'm sure women do the same types of shit to men, but differently. Women think more, typically think more about like down the line. And so I really think that that was a conscious decision on his part because he's, he's in tune enough with her to understand. And I, I actually think some people may have viewed it negatively, like he was just siding with her. To me, I didn't at all. To me, I thought it was a strategic decision. And viewing myself as if I was his wife, I would have really, really appreciated that. I think a lot of it also came from his experience in the NFL. He's been in the public eye. They've they've lived this public eye, kind of. He wasn't like Tom Brady, but he gets it and he's been around it, whereas a lot of times the housewives and their husbands are new to this like game. So I think his prior knowledge of that and him having have been in the hot seat before knowing what it feels like, I think he was able to empathize and like make a really smart move there. It was so subtle. And the scene in the kitchen with them was really her talking about how her parents taught her to deal with fights and how she saw nothing. She saw red, she blacked out I don't know what came. She's crazy. She can't just talk shit and say all these crazy things and expect for me to hug and kiss her. But that one little part and Chris's reaction was said it all. Yeah, completely, completely. Is there anything else about that particular element you want to mention? No. I cannot wait for next week. Like it's, I I don't even know what to do. I can't wait for next week. I can't wait for the week after. I can't wait for the reunion, especially now knowing this huge missing piece, this GG element, what we know, yeah, we got, we gave you guys a lot of information, but I don't want you to feel like the reunion will be spoiled because you know that there is hundreds of other points that we don't know. These are two small things that they explain to us in their own sided ways that when the whole group is there and Andy knows about it and they have this unseen footage apparently about them talking about it, Giselle bringing it up, Ashley yelling at the friend. Guys, like this is going to be something else. Something else. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, should we move on to Giselle and Jamal? Let's please move on to Giselle and Jamal. I feel like I'm getting a little bit of a break. That was wild. Okay. So as you guys know, again, not to recap, but just to quickly bring you up to speed, Jamal bought their three daughters, a restaurant called Arizona's. It's relaunching. So Giselle and the girls go to Atlanta for the relaunch. And while they're there, they see Giselle's dad. And up until this point, she hasn't really talked to her dad about the fact that her and Jamal are kind of rekindling. And as you guys know, when they were engaged, Jamal cheated on her. So when they got married, her father didn't go to the wedding. So you could tell she had a little bit of anxiety about bringing this up to her dad. I think she really, really respects him and craves his approval. And for her, it's important that her dad is not only approving, but also 
excited, I think, and happy about the person she's choosing to spend her life with. Okay. So she kind of breaks it down for him. And he says, I just want you to be happy, whatever is best for you. And she says, if I do get married again, I'm going to need you to be there. And he says, I'll be there. I'm going to walk you down the aisle. You can count on it. So just as a side note, flash to Giselle's confessional and the producers ask her, how many kids does Jamal have? And she says, I decided I'm not speaking on children that I did not give birth to because it's not fair to them or their mothers. The end. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Anyway, they go to the restaurant opening. It's her, Jamal, her dad, and her three daughters. It's great, et cetera. They're sitting down at the table. And this was kind of the first time that Jamal had been interacting with Giselle's dad in a while. And also, honestly, this whole idea of a family dynamic is very new to Giselle and the girls because for so long, they didn't see their parents together. So I think the whole thing was just kind of a, um, there was some growing pains there. But anyway, they're sitting down, her Jamal and her dad. And Giselle says, I talked to my dad yesterday. He says he wants us to be happy. And Jamal says, I appreciate that, Mr. Graves. Curtis says, I just want you to be happy. Bottom line, I got to go to the bathroom. And when he says that, Giselle says, I thought you were going to ask my dad for my hand in marriage. And Jamal's like, no, I think we got some rivers to cross. Okay. Cut now to off camera, Giselle's dad in the bathroom saying to the producer, I think you can take the mic off me. I think I'm done. This is not a good move for her. You know, this guy's got six or seven baby mamas. You know, do you want to deal with that again? No. As a father, you think twice about this kind of stuff. I'm done. That's it. I'm clean. The producer takes the mic off. Okay. First of all, we now never saw what happens after that. We don't see either her dad going back to the table or the producers going to the table saying he left. We don't know what transpires. But this to me was one of the most like deep, I don't know. It was a very, very unique kind of experience because I think what was happening was you saw a father confronted with the reality. When he's talking to Giselle and it's just them, I think he just so badly wants her to be happy and he can kind of put the reality of the situation aside for a second because he's so focused on her happiness. And then when he is face to face with Jamal, I think all of his anger comes back and he starts to realize this guy is a fucking sleaze. My beautiful, gorgeous, strong, intelligent daughter is going to be treated like this and she's back with this guy. I can't stand for this. Isabel, I can't believe that happened. It was wild. I have so many questions because they're at the table and a all Giselle knows, it's going great. She, her dad's happy. They're back together. They're oh, this restaurant, that whole weird thing. It's all going great. This trip to Atlanta, according to Giselle, is probably a success. So to hear that little thing, and also for the her dad to be so desperate and I guess have angst about this enough to confide in a producer taking his mic off, shows how in that moment he was really, really triggered and upset. And you're right. I think having dinner with Giselle the night before, hearing it in theory, probably his immediate reaction was, I want you to be happy. I love you. He's so happy to see her. He's so happy to have the granddaughters in town. So then to be at this booth face to face with this guy who he has spent 12 plus years hearing Giselle talk shit about, complain about, make her life a living hell, tabloids every week about Clearly, he has six or seven baby mamas. We didn't really know that. I thought it was like two or three. Six or seven baby mamas. For him now to be sitting face-to-face with him, it probably really hit him like a ton of bricks. And I think Giselle probably underestimated that. And what I think, too, I, I think I made this comparison to you, but you know when you have a friend who you really like, but you don't want your parents not to like them when they do something wrong? You don't want to tell them, 
oh, she didn't invite me to this party because you know you'll make up, but any time that that friend wants to come to your house, your parents will say, oh, so-and-so, like, she didn't invite you. I don't like her. I never liked her. They never forget. It's just a parent thing. It's a protection thing. So she made the error. I mean, not error. She Who would have known? But you can't blame him. All these years she spent probably crying, leaning on him, going through this terrible time without him, him cheating on her. You can't blame him that he's now sitting here. She's just expecting him to forget. No, it was hard. And I don't think she realized or he realized how hard it would hit them. But in that moment, you felt it so deep. And I think it was like parents can relate no matter what you've been through. Parents can relate specifically. Yeah, it was it was a perfect example of a dad just wanting what's best for his daughter. And I, I think he's a classy guy. Like he just gets up. He doesn't want to cause a scene in the restaurant. But I think he was, his wheels were turning. I cannot wait to see what happened. I think for both of us specifically, like the relationships that we have with our dads, it, you can't help but put yourself in that situation of like how hard that would be for our fathers um, to want to support us, but also not happy with this man who clearly disrespected us and our children. It broke my heart. It also puts him in a hard position because yeah, he knows what's best for Giselle. He's really struggling with them getting back together. But also he realizes it's too deep now. She's not just thinking about it. Like they're fully back together. She's already made the decision. She's coming to him after her mind has been made up and it's way too late. So now for him to push back, he doesn't want to put himself in the position where Giselle's upset with him and it creates space between the, with him and his daughter. He wants to, he doesn't want to lose her or lose their relationship or feel like he's disapproving of her life choices even if that is what he really feels. So I feel, I I guess I don't know what else Giselle would have done. I think she probably told him a little too late for him to actually give a response that she would want to hear. So it does put him in a tricky situation, but it just like, I just feel bad. I hope she loves and respects her dad so much that I hope they really figure it out and end up in a good place. And I hope Honestly, I hope Giselle is smart about her relationship with Jamal, and I hope that she doesn't do anything detrimental to her relationship with her father. I agree. I, I, I'm sorry. I feel I, I love Giselle, and I really don't like Jamal. I just get such a bad vibe from him. I'm sorry. I hate to say it. I just really, I, I want so much better for her. She, I just, I don't know. Don't you get a little bit of an off vibe from him? Of course. It's the same thing as parents who, you, like I was saying, it's the same analogy. We came in season one and two. She's talking about how he's a cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. You know how many times they replayed that clip? It's ingrained in my memory. And then all of a sudden he's back and we're all supposed to just accept it. We are not even involved in her real lives and it's hard. So imagine how her dad is feeling. He's only been painted as this cheater. Women, all the women asking her about his cheating. How are you going to get back together with a cheater? That's how we know him. He's always been this like off-screen myth, almost like he's a mythical creature that you've only heard bad things about. So now he comes, and we're just supposed to be all hunky dory. Like, oh, he's back in the picture. It also makes it a little bit harder because the daughters are struggling with it. They were really little. They separated 12 years ago. Her daughters are only that old, if not a couple years older. So they're struggling with it. It's not, I don't feel that sense of like 
this amazing family reunion, like the kids are parent trapping their parents, they're dying for them to get back together. They're almost weird about it too, which of course we want the best for the girls. So for them to be pushing back only adds to my feelings about it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. It really will. Whew. Okay, Michael and Ashley, shall we? Oh my God, it just, the shots keep on coming. It just It doesn't stop. I think... I really think that what was so funny was the way that Ashley introed her storyline this episode was exactly what we were thinking because she comes on screen and she goes, in a dramatic turn of events, no one is talking about Michael's infidelity. Now all the heat's on Monique and Candace. That's not to say I feel hunky-dory about my marriage. Like, yes, I I think it was Justin Sylvester that was like, she should be sending them edible arrangements because nobody gives a shit about Michael Darby all of a sudden. I mean, she is so lucky. Uh, this was insane. I, I mean, that, this is why Potomac is superior. That plot is like A plus top of the line, doesn't get better than that. And it gets pushed to the side because something even crazier happens. It's unheard of. It's unheard of. I'm telling you, Beverly Hills is fucking shaking. Like shaking. Yeah. I also think something that we didn't really talk about was we see this now how at the barn, she says she's 60% in and 40% out, which is a percentage that I was not even remotely anticipating. That is like, that's just shy of 50-50. Oh, that was way, I was not expecting that. We have not heard things like that from Ashley. Last week when she said to her mom, yeah, I'm willing to leave him, fine. You're saying that to your mom, I think you're just protecting her and making it known to her that you're willing to do it. But to say that to your friends, to give concrete numbers that high is, I was like, okay, she's serious. She's, she's serious. I also think, I mean, you guys know what happened. She went, she, she approaches the concept of a postnuptial agreement with him, which I'm sure she spoke to him about a little bit off camera, just saying she was going to do that. And, you know, that he kind of explained the issues with the intimacy, et cetera. Fine. And he seems, you know, open to the idea of, of a postnup as he absolutely has to, because his back is against the wall. But something that I have to say is like, listen, I can't stand Michael Darby just as much as the next guy. I think he is I think Ashley is so above and beyond him and I'm sure she has some sort of a long game plan here because I can't find anything appealing about this man with the exception of maybe his money, fine. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is judge their marriage all you want. You got to at least applaud the communication that they are able to have. I'm not saying I would want it, but it is very clear. It's very civil. And she's really outlining all of her points as, as clearly as one could, they're talking about very difficult subjects and I almost have to applaud it. Not that I would want it, but I, it's not the most common dynamic that I've ever seen. And I actually think it must work for them. It has to, they've had so many issues. And if they weren't communicating in this way, it, it would be hard. I think a lot of it, if not all of it falls on Ashley because that's how she communicates with everybody. You see her talk to other women. Yeah, she gets angry, raises her voice. Of course, she's not an angel. But we saw it in at Monique's Lake House. She comes the next morning and says, I just want to tell everybody what we were discussing last night. Mike, you know, Candace got a text. Michael's cheating. I just wanted to put it out there. Same thing. They come to the barn and she's like, I just want to tell everyone it was true. Michael and I have threesomes. Like putting it out there, communicating her feelings. She's a complete open book, the definition of where you're hard in your sleeve, almost to a fault sometimes, but in your relationship, in her relationship, at least it works because they're not hiding anything. Well, she's not hiding anything. 
about how she's feeling and her motives and what she's thinking. She's not trying to be sneaky. She's like, here, this is what I'm thinking. It could not be more clear. If it happens again, this is what will happen. And also that conversation, were you dying? He was like, she was like, there's always going to be temptation. You know, will you be disciplined enough? And he's like, I definitely, because I have to, I really realize that. And she's like, well, you always had to. It's not like we got married yesterday. You know, that is like, what is the disconnect? You have been married before. You've been married for how many years? Now you're realizing that? I, she was like, okay, what, what am I fucking dealing with? And also knowing that in real time she's pregnant with their second kid. So you also kind of know where we end up, but don't know, don't know what happened between is a crazy place to be in. It's a crazy place to be in. I can't help but think that she's in it for some sort of a long game. She's too smart and beautiful and um, a lot of other really unique qualities. And he is just so not. And I'm very curious what's going on there. I I think you're so right. The way that he kind of, like, I couldn't believe that what they were talking about was what they were talking about. The way that she almost had to treat him like a child. It was really, it was a complete, you know, she has often said that she views Michael in a lot of ways as a father figure because she feels like he, you know, took that place for her. And she's very honest about that. And she's very transparent about the fact that maybe that's some sort of a psychological element going on there. It's fine, whatever. But talk about a role reversal then. She's treating him as if he is the child, almost like reprimanding him and talking him through his mistake. It was fucking bizarre. I would, I, I think she's so much better than to be in a situation where she has to outline to her husband, like, okay, you're sure you're not going to cheat again? You need a fucking agreement to make sure that you don't do that. What kind of asshole are you? No. And him talking about almost trying to make an excuse for it. Like, well, our relationship was everything but the sex. Not that they had determined that or anything. They never spoke about it. But he had just decided that their relationship was about raising their son, taking care of each other, almost like a friend roommate situation. Like they loved each other, have dinner together. They're a couple. But the intimacy, because it had gone away between them after she gave birth and things shifted. She wasn't feeling good physically and mentally that because the intimacy went away, it was okay for him to find it elsewhere. And she's like, I think she's like, what, what, like, where are you pulling this out of? We never decided that. And you just went and found it somewhere else. Like that's not okay. And in all fairness, she said this last time, they're not a traditional couple. They have threesomes. She's had, she also was throwing herself, I think, a little under the bus to soften the blow of how bad he was looking. But she's like, I've had eyes for other people. He has eyes for other people. It happens. So it's not like she's holding him to this, the most strict monogamous standard of all time. She is pretty forgiving and open. So then for him to even cheat that system is so unfair and really hard to watch. I completely, completely agree. It's, yeah. It's almost like, I almost felt when he was talking, she was like that meme of the girl looking, the the woman looking at all the math problems. Like, how does this add up? That's what she was saying. Wait a second. Are you talking about what I think you're talking about? Right. Like, we've done everything, this, that, yeah. There's so many pieces of it. And also so many scandals we've seen. And I'm sure a hundred that we haven't. Yeah. He's an asshole. Forget him. He's a fucking asshole. My opinion on him is not changing. Oh, just like my opinion on Jamal is not changing. And I, really, and I really like Chris Samuels. And I actually really like Ray a lot. 
and Juan, are you kidding? What a little cutie pie. Even though he cheated, he's he's proved him sh- himself and he's been so committed to their family. He's getting married again to Robin. Like, that's how you fucking show up the second time around. Juan is also just sexy. Like, well, not, yeah. to, not to throw in the whole, you know how we always say that, like, if Tristan Thompson wasn't as attractive as he was, people would probably be giving him even a harder time than they did. Like, not saying that that's the case with Juan. However, you, look at Juan and Michael Darby next to each other. Come on. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Even Michael Darby's into Juan, as we heard at last reunion. So come on. <laughs> exactly. Like, Everyone's into Juan Dixon. Yeah. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. I came to the realization recently that I was just like desperately in need of a closet clean out because you know when you're getting ready and you just can't find anything, you have so many things that you don't even wear that you can't find the stuff that you do wear and it's just like a chaotic and unenjoyable process. That was me. I'm still, to be honest with you, in the process of cleaning out. But one of the biggest game changers for me in this process has been finding just like high quality essentials that I can mix and match with anything so that I can have less things, but the things that I have, I can wear with a lot. And I've told you guys about them before, but I think that Quince is one of the best at this in terms of just finding the high quality, affordable pieces. And they have a lot of really great sweaters. I love their Mongolian cashmere oversized boyfriend cardigans. I just find them to be so comfortable. I have them in a bunch of colors. They also have washable silk tops, which are amazing, like really easy, comfortable, high quality throw-ons that you can wear for so many different occasions. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So The way that it works is by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes that savings on to us, which is kind of like best case scenario for all involved. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Okay, Karen and Ray, shall we end with that? Yes, because just you think, I will say, so Emma and I are watching this and they go from this fight to all of a sudden this fluffy, what we think fluffy plot line of Giselle and her girls like packing up going to Atlanta. And we're like, are you kidding? They just can't cut from that to this. Like the contrast was absolutely alarming. But then, and even the Ray and Karen, like, cooking she's taking a cooking class the classic reality show plot line of oh you're not cooking hire a chef we'll make dinner your birthday whatever i'm like okay there is no way that they're gonna put these two super surface level fluffy plot lines mixed in with this absolutely groundbreaking historic intense plot and boy did they prove me wrong because Every, every single plot turned out to be A+. plus. So let's get into Karen and Ray because it was slow in the start and then it really ended with a bang. 
<laughs> it was it was as if in in a crazy fucking turn of events, Ashley and Michael was the closest thing to fluff we had. So how's that for a fucking plot twist? Yeah, like they were the least interesting plot talking about cheating in their post nut. Yeah. Okay, Karen and Ray, as you guys know, they've been married for 22 years. It's something she speaks about very often. She's 57, he's 74. And I think in terms of, at least in in this franchise, with the exception of Monique and Chris, their marriage is definitely the one that is the most looked up to. And she's been very vocal recently that she feels like the spark is kind of down. She still feels the same way about him, but she's not sure how he feels towards her. He hasn't been saying, I love you, et cetera. So it's his birthday. She brings over the chef. They cook this beautiful dinner together. You can tell Ray is really excited about it, really into it. And I think something he's been feeling, which he says, is that once the kids moved out, it was kind of like Karen stopped with her, quote, homemaker duties. And it also happened to be at the same time as her business took off. So I think he was just feeling neglected, not how he's used to feeling. She's this independent, strong businesswoman. And he may be a little bit more old fashioned in his thinking. And I think he was feeling just a little bit kind of forgotten about. Okay. They have this dinner. Everything's going great. And when they bring over this woman, Angela, who is a radio show host, does the show Pillow Talk, and she's kind of a relationship coach, which one thing I want to add in, I saw people giving them criticism for not bringing in a regular therapist. Let me tell you something. It is not that easy to get a 74-year-old man to commit to any of this type of stuff, specifically therapy, because of the negative connotation that is associated with therapy for men. So I think the fact that she even got this woman in is a big accomplishment, and I don't think we should be so quick to judge her for that. Therapy is not something that is, one, so openly accepted in a lot of cultures, and also it's an age thing. And it's a, and it's the fact that society has been so harsh to men about needing therapy. So to me, I was like, kudos, Karen, you're getting this woman even in here? Like, that's a big deal. And I think in Karen's eyes, bringing in like a marriage counselor or a real therapist would have felt more severe and like more like there was a real problem. So bringing in her friend, who's kind of an expert, does these like workshops and activities to get couples talking, probably felt less like, okay, I, you know, I'm calling in the big guns. We're at a turning point. It was more of a like, I'm going to get her in. Let's go through the exercises. She's my friend. See what she has to say. It right. was both. It was probably helped Ray accept it, but also helped her accept it. Exactly. Great point. She was qualified, but she wasn't clinical. And that was an important distinction. But anyway, so they're having this conversation and she was just voicing, you know, you don't date me. I don't feel like that fuzzy feeling. I'm passionate. I need to know you're in love with me. And she says, I'm in love with Ray. I can't imagine a day without Ray. That's how I know I'm in love with him. And Ray says, listen, I don't think about days without you either. And this is when Angela says, are you in love with Karen? And he says, I think I am. She says, after 23 years, you don't know. And he says, well, I knew at one point, I love you and I think I'm in love with you, but it certainly doesn't feel the same way it did 20 years ago. Now, maybe it isn't supposed to. It's not because it's different. It's just different. And Karen said, that's a huge discovery right now. It's a painful one. I'm going to be honest with you. Everyone knows I'm in love with you except for you. So you could feel the air leave the room. Angela leaves. And this is when Karen and Ray have a very honest conversation. And she says, I didn't expect to hear that you don't know whether or not you know you're in love with me. He said, I said, I believed I was in love with you. Like I said, you're a little bit different than the person I was in love with a while back. And she says, no one stays the same. Everyone grows. He says, well, I was trying to answer the question honestly. And she says so poignantly and perfectly, I really appreciate your honesty, but I don't have to like it. She then walks upstairs. You see she's hyperventilating. She asks the producers to take off the mics, which they do. And this was a moment watching this as a woman. I think you felt you really felt for her. 
I felt so many things. We've seen them from the beginning. Their marriage is an institution. It was unbreakable. They were always a given. And I think she felt like that was a such a solid in her life that she never had to worry about. It was Karen and Ray Huger. They live in Potomac. That got taken away from her. So now, and her kids left the house. Her kids are grown. They went to college. So now to feel like this staple in her life, it's all she knows. She's been married to him for over two decades. To hear that for the first time for him to express something like that was probably so hard and such like a shock and a it probably really hit her in the gut. I do want to say though, because back to our point of like, I don't think they've ever really been to therapy. I don't think Ray is, you know, one to like express his feelings. She is, she's always been like that. And she talks at him, but he necessarily isn't giving his thoughts and his deepest feelings every day. I almost feel like there was a, not a communication, just like a miscommunication issue. Like I hear points that he was saying, I think his delivery and his choice of words was really hurtful. I think he probably, his whole, this whole notion of like, you're not the same. We we're different people than when we got married is so valid. And like a storyline that we see a lot of times with couples that have been married this long. But I think that for her to hear, I'm not sure if I'm in love with you, or I'm just not sure if I'm in love with this version of you, whatever he meant was, especially in front of this woman who's her friend and in front of the cameras to process all those layers was, I think, really like a hard moment for her. Enough for her also to break this fourth wall, talk to the producers, take her mic off. And we saw like, okay, this isn't just happening. They leave, the doors close, the show's over. It's actually happening inside of her house. She's going to her safe space to take a moment and realize what just happened. Exactly. It would, you know, but, but that point about it not just being in front of this woman, but it also being in front of the quote world is something that we see a lot in a lot of franchises of like, I often think that their reactions sometimes seem more intense than people would assume them to be. And yes, part of that is because maybe they're playing it up for the camera, but also like they're not affected like normal people are affected. When you're on a show like this, you have to know in the moment, you're not only upset about the words that happen, you're also upset about how that affects your image. And I think Karen, Isabel, remember last reunion, a split second, Ashley brings up her marriage. I think it was Ashley and Karen like loses it. I don't think that it's possible for her to separate this conversation with the show. Like, I think she almost has reunion goggles on and thinking, oh shit, this is painful for me as a human being and as a wife, but also this is not the type of perception that I want to have when I have always found my comfort and my security in my marriage. And now this is on display for the world. I think you can't separate the two. Absolutely. And also thinking about her kids seeing it, that sucks. You know, you know, any parents would not want their kids sitting in on a therapy session about their marriage, and now her kids will be able to. And also, think about the actual logistics of the room. Having conversations and doing exercises like this is hard, even when you're in a room, just three people, right? So then to think that they're in their house with a camera guy, a mic guy, the producers are upstairs, there's all these eyes on them. Ray is now in this position where he's probably not super comfortable being on camera, even though he's been doing it for five years. It's not his thing. He's a shy kind of guy. They're doing this exercise, which I don't think he probably was super excited about. He's on the spot and he's being asked these really difficult questions with all of these eyeballs on them. It's really like, 
I'd be so interested. It's not possible, but like, what kind of answers would someone give in this exact scenario if they were in a room alone versus in this weird filming, everything you say is final situation? Totally, totally agree with you. I think just also, at the very least, no matter what was going on in her life, the loss of her parents, the fights she had with her friends, Ray to her represented comfort and security. And when he said that, even though it wasn't like he was saying, I want a divorce, I think for her, it was like the rug was taken from under her feet. The wind was knocked out of her. And I think she really felt like that security and that comfort at the very least she could rely on, even if the passion wasn't there, even if the spark was there, wasn't there. I think for her, she was watching that go away. And that is a really scary thought. It's almost like it's almost like my therapist always says that we in life have our anchors. It can be a person, it can be a feeling. And I think the unconditional security and comfort she felt with Ray was one of her anchors. And in that moment, it was if that anchor was lifted and that is not an easy thing. And I really commend her for um, her bravery in airing that. It's going to be interesting to play out because I don't know if it'll play out. I don't know if this is like a storyline that she's going to continue or want to keep updating everyone on or even be honest about necessarily. Karen is like many things, but you're right. She does care a lot about the image and she's honest about so many things. But I think when it comes to like her marriage and her financial situations, she really likes to spin it in a way that makes her look better. So I'm afraid that at the reunion, it will just be like, a, you know, we really worked through it. Whether that's true or not, I hope it's true. I love them. But I just, I don't know if we'll get like the full raw honesty. Also, think about it. We're being contrasted right from Michael and Ashley who have word vomit. There's not one thing we don't know. We watch their progress. We know every little thing versus Karen and Ray who are a little more buttoned up, a little more traditional, a little more conservative about what they're sharing and how they want their marriage to look. It's like, it's a hard contrast. So I don't know if we'll get the follow-up that we will get from the other couples, but it was such a real moment and probably one of the realest moments that Karen has had on Housewives. Completely, completely agree. Wow. What an episode. What a franchise. What a life. I cannot believe this is real. Wow. That episode truly like, guys, I know I'm a broken record and I say this is the best week, best episode, best week to be a Bravo fan. This felt different. I know I say that too. Like you could collage every week me saying the exact same thing. This was different. I'm mar- mark my words. This was different. Everyone said it. Bravo experts, people who are tweeting, people who had, had screeners and seen it earlier were saying like, you don't even know what's coming. This will change Housewives history. So then for the reactions after watching everyone react, seeing the things that they noticed that we didn't because there was so much going on and the involvement of the producers in every single plot line shown on this one episode was, wow, I can't even believe it. It was amazing. I, as I also say every week, thank you for getting me into Potomac. It was the best thing I ever did. And I just really urge anyone that's, well, if you're listening to this, you did, but tell your friends, <laughs> tell everyone, you know, and also if, if you have friends that are confused about what's going on behind the scenes with Monique, Monique and Candace, send them this episode because I really do think it makes watching it more enjoyable once you understand what's going on. Yeah. It's like you're in on a secret that other people aren't. You'll definitely understand plot lines better. I even want to go back to the rest of this season so far and see like little Easter eggs or 
things that they insinuated that maybe we didn't know before researching. So great. It's not like, I mean, listen, it's not like we have access to information that other people don't. However, when we do these episodes, I always try to think of myself in the, like, if I was the listener, if I was a viewer of housewives and really wanted a podcast to explain it, like that's how you have to think because people there's access. But honestly, if we weren't doing this podcast, I don't know if we would research as intently as we just did. So I want to be able to give it to people in the form of audio where it's like digestible. And, um, I don't know. I'm just so happy. I love you and I love everyone. And thank you guys for letting us do this. And now gotten to this point, congratulations. You're an expert. You finished the course and we'll be back next week for the next part. Yes. Yes, we will. I want to just say, you know, we don't know what day we like to keep consistency because I know as a podcast listener, you like that. However, I also think we have to go with the demand of our listeners. And so like for this week, it was important. We got the episode up before Friday. I don't know going forward as the franchises change. I promise we'll keep you guys posted, but we want to hear from you day wise what works best. Um, and we can't release two episodes on the same day. So we have to just figure all of that out. And again, we just love you. Thank you for letting us do this. And Julie and I will see you tomorrow for our Kardashian bonus bonus show. Thanks guys. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up, but specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada, yada, yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.